Welcome to the Look It's Rock and Roll podcast. I'm your host, Julian Gill. I've got Bill and Andy back, so that means we're going to dig into our seventh Wasp chat. The ninth. Yeah, this is is number seven, but this is the ninth Wasp studio album. We have skipped over the live ones. Maybe we'll go back and do those at some point. But we want to talk about Unholy Terror, which was released in April 2001. And it's a Wasp album that marks a little bit of a shift in the subject matter that Blackie was tackling. Um, If not, you know, just how he was kind of presenting the messages. Because I think a lot of the messages are like a common recurring theme, regardless of, you know, where they're coming from. They're all sort of, you know, coming across in different ways. But for this album, I kind of dropped off the radar with Wasp after The Sting came out. I remember ordering that, and I didn't bother with the webcast because I had dial-up at that point. So by the time this album came around, I didn't know it was coming because I was in the midst of changing jobs, preparing for a wedding, and there was reality. You know, 2001 was taking you know, precedence for me on on the forefront. I was busy selling off my Kiss collection, you know, to to fund the wedding and, uh, you know, kind of downsize. So, so Bill, you'd been off the radar with, you know, Wasp. With with Wasp. Let's get your, you know, initial impressions about Unholy Terror, your kind of, your introduction to it. Yeah, because I was uh, way out of the radar by then, too, because actually where you were getting married, I was getting divorced at this time. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> divorce number one. <laughs> so, uh, um, of course, you know, I'm late to the party on this one. And I was a little bit misled by one of the three of us that I was really going to dislike this album. And uh, <laughs> I, uh, I I don't want to give any spoilers, so I might just stop there. But uh I kind of wish I would have heard it a lot earlier. So Andy was wrong. Is that, is that what you're saying? Andy was, Andy Andy was incorrect. Yeah, I was, I was incorrect too. We'll get to that. He he was misled. We'll put it that way. I was too. My (laughs) own self. That was pretty bad. So Andy, what about you for running into the sound? Because you never leave. You're always up to date with this stuff. Uh, I wouldn't say by, by then what was happening in 2001 besides like, in the music industry, despite you getting divorced, you're getting married. <laughs> I well, mean, uh, there was a whole was lifestyle the- change that basically came down like security wise. So that was the number yeah. one thing that happened. Let me see. Let me see. I was here. So 2000, you know, you get the kiss thing going on. That was, you know, well, that, say that, goodbye. yeah, that, that had ended the farewell tour. It ended. They just finished up the, uh, the run in Australia and Japan. So I don't remember any other bands or what was going, you know, I can't think back to 2001, at least before nine 11 and say, well, you know, this was going on in my life. It's like 2001. It's like you automatically think that. Yeah, I guess. Well, not really. Well, I guess depending. Well, when it comes down to near the end of the year. Yeah. But not in the beginning of the year. So in April, April, because it's April, too. So when the album came out in April, I'm trying to think. It's one of those things, again, though, where, where they just kind of disappeared off the face of the earth in ways. You know what I mean? Like, he just disappeared. Wasp disappeared kind of not all the way in America yet. But this was the last thing, I think, pretty much. No, I wasn't because Neon God came out. So I went to go see the Neon God tour, too. Or one of them. Yeah, so, so so the Sting yeah. had been released in November of 2000, so they were still, you know, kind kind of busy during that. When when was the Sting recorded? That was in L.A. or, or whatever. The, the, yeah, so you know, I I remember that because of the big deal about it being streamed. But then I don't remember anything about this album coming out. I only found it when I was just going through Amoeba. I always used to go through like the Zodiac Mind Warp section to see if I could if they ever got anything fun there, and I'd be in that area so i'd check wasp just to see if there's any anything and you know i, I found this and this was a, a discarded promo um so that was the only reason i found out about it 
I think I just thought the same thing. You know, I went to like a record store or. Yeah, a record store. Imagine that. Yeah, there are still some around still. Uh, yeah, back at the time, I think I went to one of the stores and, you know, like you said, looking for other stuff and you know, always take the stroll over to the wasp and see if anything just happens to pop up. And I think the same thing happened. All of a sudden, bingo, it's there. Here it is. Look, it's it's a it's a new CD. Not even an album. It's a new CD. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like one of those things. So like, huh, interesting. Because it's just weird. It's just like, again, the no promotional thing, really, that I saw. You know, like you said, the Sting. You know, the Sting was supposed to be a really big thing online. And it, I, and from my understanding, if I remember correctly, like you said, it had dial up. So, and I heard it, like, it really, if I'm correct, I heard they had a lot of problems uh, for the people who actually wanted to see the Sting thing. Like, it dropped out. It kept dropping out. I heard there was a lot, a lot of problems with that thing at the time. So I never saw that until after the fact. And then, then, then all of a sudden, huh, we got another Wasp album. But again, man, it, it, it's difficult because next thing you know, it's like, you got it. You look at it, and you're like, it says Wasp, but it's like, it's on the side. <laughs> you know? It's, it's a, like barely on the side. You could, you know, you don't, you know. And then all next, you know, I'm seeing a unholy terror, and then all of a sudden I see a cross. <laughs> so I'm like, uh-oh, here we go. <laughs> so I, I don't know. I think that's where I ended up picking it up. It was just like at a random record store, one of the, you know, record stores that would get, like, you know, a lot of uh, bootleg stuff and a lot of uh, stuff from overseas. Um, so I think that's where I ended up picking it up. Um, my memory's really blank on it when I'm picking it up. I'm usually pretty good at this, remembering this stuff, but not this one kind of weird yeah and i think your your kind of memory the kind of the blank slate of it is actually very appropriate for it because when this one was going to be coming up next and we're talking about hell dorado i could remember songs from that there there i had opinions i had you know feelings about it when we get to unholy terror and i'm like okay that's the next one up i know it's up in my cd rack i couldn't think of a single song on it you know that you know, no melodies jumped into my head no memories jumped in, no images of the band. So when we go back to KFD, we remember the, the videos and the imagery and everything that went with that. Hell Dorado, the cover, you immediately remember that, remember some of the songs, remember cringing. This one, it, it's, it's like a, a blank era to some extent. So revisiting it was really fun for me. I've had a blast listening to it. I've been listening to it quite a bit since we finished the last episode. So that's, you know, quite a while to have gone back and actually given it more of a fair shake. Because when I, again, this is an overall impression of the album and we'll get into the track by track in a, in a sec. Um, I, I listened to it once, I ripped it, and I put it away, and I never really went back to it again. It was just, at the time when, that I got it, it didn't do much for me. It was like, oh, new Wasp album, cool, I'm buying it, okay, I've listened to it, oh, uh, let's put on another kiss bootleg or what's Def Leppard doing or you know oh zodiac <laughs> you know there's that zodiac mind warp single i've been after for the b-side you know so i moved on with my life and it just got filed away until uh, the next one and then it never really entered my mind again so bill we'll get to you to start off the track listing in a second but andy what i mean what's your overall you know you've called it a kind of a blank era after hearing it did you kind of do similar to me or did it leave more of an impression on you? Well, it's weird because you had, uh, you know, uh, you look at it and of course none of the bands on it, you know, on the CD at all. Like I wouldn't say they're on the CD. I should say that playing on the CD, but there's no, you know, in, unless you actually open it up, you didn't even know who was in the band anymore because Blackie all of a sudden had this thing of nobody wants to either work for him <laughs> and he, you know, work with him or he fires everybody or whatever the hell's going on with him and stuff. But I didn't even know that Chris was still in there. Part of it, you know, Chris is still part of this stuff. I mean, you could tell it's him playing on certain songs, but it's just like, who's playing the drums? Well, multi multi drum plays on this thing. You know, uh, there's another guy playing guitar, whoever that guy is. Zoe something, Ro, Ro Z. 
Oh, whoever. The hell is that? It's so, Roy Z. Oh, Roy Z? I don't know, whatever. <laughs> Same difference, right? Yeah, but you don't know who these are. You know, what, what you know, and then, uh, I mean, I guess it, it is. It's still kind of a blank thing. The song, I know we're going to get into songs, but the songs aren't bad. That's the thing about it. And Chris has some really good stuff on it. It's just not, like you say, the dirty, you know, it's not the dirty stuff as much anymore. You know, it's a whole different thing. And this is the first time, you know, I don't know if you're going to read some of it, but Blackie really gets into the whole, here we go. You know, <laughs> Blackie gets all back into the, him and Chris were, you know, Christians. I, and now, think. Can I see that again so I could try to read it? <laughs> <laughs> Ready? Ready? Go. I had, I had to scan that damn insert <laughs> to try and magnify it to read it. And then I just got to the point where I couldn't be bothered to read it. So I I I read, My know, computer the glasses bring them to, to magnify it so I could see it. But Yeah, I, I did the giant magnifying glass. I had her, like, oh, you know, and he says that, you know, him and Chris were born, you know, uh, into, you know, whatever they were raised for Christian stuff. And Blackie lost his way because... Of people, you know, people telling him, you know, telling them that basically if you don't do this, you're wrong and you're going to go to hell and this and that and everything else. So he kind of lost his way, but then he finally saw the light, you know, kind of in a way. And this is so this is basically the first album, I think, that turns him, starts to turn him over back into the Christian thing. Yeah. You know, the, you know the, now that you said that, uh, there was one point in El Dorado where I mentioned it's like, is this where Blackie's starting to lean that direction again? Because there were a couple songs where he, uh, you know, it starts off balls to the wall and let's, you know, let's take the highway to hell and burn, live fast, hard, die hard and all that. And then you get later on in the album and it's kind of like, well, maybe I'm making a mistake or something like that. So this actually just kind of follows in the natural progression of uh, El Dorado, in my opinion. And that's really very interesting from an artistic point of view that we know Blackie's story that, you know, obviously his history start musical history kind of starts with the New York Dolls working with Arthur Kane, the CD L.A. side of things. And we certainly know the CD business side of things and his own interviews. But I, I get a very similar impression with this, that this is the first time where he's really actually starting to explore inside himself. And some of the things that he's thinking about and discovering are coming back out with the songs themselves and the music. If anything, this is a hybrid between two blackies. This is kind of the uh, a full album of that one element that Bill just described on Helderado. Uh, and, you know, he's kind of at war with himself still. So there's a lot of really dark stuff throughout this album. Some of it is pretty depraved, not to the kind of the level of KFD, but th there was some stuff in the lyrics, which I think we're going to touch on as we go song by song. So why don't we just jump into those songs and uh, get started with the first song on the album, Let It Raw. So, Bill. Before we dive in, can we check my microphone because... I was actually distorting in my headphones, so I turned my mic down. Can you hear me okay? I can still yep. hear you. Yep. Let it roll, okay. dude. All right. Go ahead, Bill. Uh, oh, so I'm going to fire this one off? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Get us started with the first song. Your thoughts on Let It Roll. Oh, man. It's just another barn burner right out of the box. Um, you know, a, a rocking anthem, high energy, and, and unlike necessarily kfd and a little bit less held Dorado. the instruments sound good the vocals are recorded well and uh there's a little something i sense something familiar that we're, we'll get to later but uh yeah i mean you know it's just like uh, kind of like um i'm trying to uh think about the you know this kind of harkens back to the busting out with electric circus I think it's just a real good hammering song to get the, the whole album started. Andy. All right. Now reading. So, so I see, I did, I did some homework doing, would you imagine that? Glad I you actually did. read. Yeah, I actually did. Now, according to Blackie, this, this, this album is supposed to be basically a runoff of the headless children, basically kind of towards that kind of album. So, 
It's interesting, after all the Lost albums that start out with some kind of big theatrical, like Inside the Electric Circus, The Erotic, you know, stuff like that, this thing just, like, let it roll, lets it rip, you know? It just They just go right into it, you know, <laughs> no, no, no big, you know, no big, you know, fanfare, nothing, just rip right into, you know, let it roll, <laughs> you know? And uh, the thing is that, uh, man... It's so weird. Like we said, this 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 album, this album, and at that time, it's like a like a mislaid, a clean slate, like gone. It's just too bad this album wasn't brought out earlier in in their stuff. You know, if it was released earlier, because you know, maybe not a lot of people know that that's Chris Holmes playing guitar, except for songs six and ten. But you know, but uh, you know, I don't get into the whole too much of the whole. Uh, Christian stuff and all that stuff. It just whatever. It's a song. So, <laughs> but it is a good song. Let it roll up. You know, it sounds good. Blackie's voice sounds good. The guitar is a good song. You know, everything sounds good. Uh, Frankie's on the drums, right? On this one, Frankie's on the drums. I, I noticed there's multiple drummers on on this album. It's crazy. So no, no, Frankie is not on this one. This oh, is this is Steph. Oh, Steph. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I, I get because if they both were on, you know, the whoever went on the tour, I get confused. And I, yeah, I think I went to this tour. I can't even remember, dude. This is that's it is. It's like a weird slate for me on that one, even on that one. But uh, yeah, I do like the first track. It's not bad. Like I said, I told Julian and, and Bill that when you got to say, oh, have you heard this? No, and I'm like, well, this is probably one of my least favorite albums. I don't think it's one of my least favorite albums. I think it's one of the lost albums. Yes. Well, see, what you told me is that I was going to hate this. That's what you said. You know what? Yeah, I, I, I did, and that's my mistake because I don't hate the album. Actually, it's just lo- it's a lost album. Yeah, definitely. It's it's definitely a lost album. If this album was put out like after the Crimson Idol, uh, I think it would have done a bigger punch, something like that. That's oh, yeah. my. Oh yeah, yeah. That's that's why I think I getting my thing better about this. Yeah. But uh, I like the song. It's good. It's like right in bullhead. Let it raw. So it's a good song. Yeah, I don't have I don't have anything to add. I, I think Bill nails it and Andy nails it for this one. It is you flip the switch and it's on. It, it's it's just total. I love the powerful opening declaration of you know we are wasp but we've come to kick your butts. But I just like the lyrics in this. You got to get up on your feet or die on your knees. I, I like that sort of message of get up. You know, face it. You know, um, like, just, don't like don't turn your back like- and run away. Yeah, it's kind of like you've been kicked kicked around enough, man. It's time to get back on your feet and let it rip, man. Tell show these people that, you know, you can still let it rip and let it roll, you know. <laughs> yeah, so. And, and so we can go straight into track two, "Hate to Love Me." I'll start off on this one because I immediately have had problems with the title because it makes me think of Joan Jett and Desmond Child and Kiss. You love me to hate you, or I hate myself for loving you. Hate to love me. It, it just sounds like it should be the third Desmond Child trilogy. Uh, but that said, the melody, the melody of the verse is somewhere. You know, I'm like I've heard that before somewhere. Still can't put my finger on it. And that's my problem with Wasp from this point out. There are so many elements that come through. And I know what Blackie had said that this is similar to Headless Children. But now we start getting a few too many elements coming through in the songs, whether it's melodies or little riffs. I'm like, I've heard that before. And and now it becomes a cat and mouse game of I can't listen to the album because I have to go play all the other songs to find out where that reference point is coming in. And it becomes obtrusive to my listening. Now, I think if people take away from that, you've got to separate yourself from all the other music and just listen to it as its own entity. But it's got a fantastic guitar solo, but the chorus is weak. Bill. Okay, yeah, um... <laughs> dive into this one i'll go back to another thing we were talking about we were trying to figure out what was going on in this time frame and i did a real quick google search while you guys were talking and the top heart the top heavy songs of 2001 were how you remind me by nickelback it's been a while by stained puddle of muds blurry and wasting my time but by default so i mean when that's what was on rock radio you know, there was really no place for this record at all, in spite of how good it is. But back to Hate to Love Me, 
more high energy. Uh, I think Blackie did really well on the lyrics, and I think that's a consistent thread through the whole album. His lyric writing is so good, you almost forget about Don't Cry, Just Suck. Uh, <laughs> the solo, and it, it, it sounds like, a, you know, to jump back to the Kiss thing, it sounds like Chris Channel's a little ace in there, just a little sloppy, but it, got, it has a really great feel to it. And uh, I, I didn't really find the chorus as weak as you did, uh, Julian, but, uh, you know, it's just tasty. And here, and I, I'll get to the point about the something sounding familiar, other than the melody you were talking about, too. I'm sitting there going, that sounds like something off of Last Command or something like that. There's a, there's a melody run in there. It's going, man, that's real close. But the thing that I thought sounded familiar was that stupid symbol. The symbol I complained about so much on Still Not Black Enough is back, and it actually plays during a drum roll. The drums are going, and you're hearing, and it's like, how do you do a drum roll and play the symbol at the same time? You don't. You know, that's the whole point of the drum roll is you're laying off of the symbols and the accents like that, and you're just doing that roll. But that is actually in the the drum roll in the middle of this song. But other than that, it's just another. Uh, Bill Elam Banger. That's a hashtag I use now. A hashtag Bill Elam Banger. And uh, what you got, Andy? Well, to me, to me, uh, to, to to me, it's like I don't know. It's the song that like it's like uh, you know, you love me to hate you. You can't like it's like the the person hates you, but they just can't get away from you. It's like a that kind of almost like possessing you know what i mean i gotta have you no matter what even though if i know you're just terrible <laughs> i mentioned i was getting divorced at this time <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's, it's kind of like that <laughs> yeah and you know if so like i said i'm not i don't usually don't get into the words like i do but i don't like in ways it's weird um i do like this song um chris's chris's guitar work is all to me, Chris's guitar work is a lot different on this album. This is me. It's not. It's not that sound like he always has. You know yeah. what I mean? What I'm saying. He always has that distinct sound. Period. On this album, he does not. He's like. It's so much changed. I don't know what they did, or did he use different guitar? Or they told him to change it all, or what? I, I don't know. But it, I mean, it's a good song. It's not bad, bad. It's not like the super greatest, but it's kind of like in between. I don't know. That's that's about what I got. I mean, like I don't with the solo. What I was saying, where you sounded more like Ace Frehley on the earlier albums, like the first five, he sounded more like he was leading in shredder territory. You know, he was always playing blitzing fast scale runs and stuff like that. And this one was just a little bit more soulful and a little little bluesier than what you're used to from Chris. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a, that's yeah, that's a good way to put it. You sooner, I mean, there's certain guitarists or certain people you know that minute they stop playing or singing or doing what they do, you know who they are right away. And every time you know Chris Holmes' guitar, usually you you know, man, Bingo, you know that sound. You know, it's like he's really, you know, his sound. You know, you you hear, you know, whatever Angus Young sound. It's a certain guys that have that sound, and that's it. This whole thing, it seems like Chris is just like way different. Uh, I think I, there was just a Chris in this one to where you knew it was Chris, though. Yeah. But but who knows what they did with stuff? You know how black he is. <laughs> yeah, and I, doesn't Chris also deny playing a lot on here? Um, that could be another thing, too, you know? He could say, yeah, it's it. well, it does say Chris plays on every song except for number six and number ten. Well, yeah, but liner notes are about as accurate as Wikipedia. Yeah. <laughs> I so, know, so it's you, it's it's only as good as the information that it's given. Um, let's let's move into Locomotive Man and the Baby Killers. You know, <laughs> just just a song title that really rolls off the tongue. Bill, <laughs> well, uh, the, the the first thing that caught me was the riff, as it wasn't as hooky. I mean, of course, you know the first two were barn burners. And it, this is just the love, you know, where they had like a uh, opportunity to go to a uh, a steadier hook kind of thing, and they didn't necessarily do that, but it was keeping things going. And uh, 
the lyrics are exceptional on it. The vocals are great. Uh, I think the choruses are awesome on this one, especially in the point where the choruses, where the harmonies drop in and out of it. You know, the, he has a line where you just hear him. You know, it's not like the whole band singing the whole chorus together, but he sings a line and then the harmonies come back in behind it. And unlike some other bands that we listen to where you hear three of the same singer doing his own harmonies, there are actually different voices doing these harmonies, but they come in almost Queen-like, you know, where they're, where they're just, uh, just different enough that you know that it's not necessarily Blackie. And I thought that was a really cool part. And, um, and it, this probably, you know, this reminds me of something like from Last Command. Hmm. Which isn't a bad reference point ever to have with the Wasp song. Okay. Andy. Well, uh, you know, if you read the, uh, you know, the homework. <laughs> what local? What, did you read it? So, okay. <laughs> well, I don't know he did. I don't know if he did or did. But I, actually, I, I, I did in 2001, but I don't remember it. I got oh, it 45 years ago, so I didn't read it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it kind of tells you what local local motor man is. So, you know, it's kind of like running off the rails, you know? You're a little loco, going a little cuckoo. You know what I mean? A little crazy. You know, and you're on the track. Here we go. Where's the track going to take me? You know what I mean? That kind of thing. And, it, again, yeah, it does. I don't know. It's so weird. I like the, I like the, I like the song, too, but it's just. It's kind of lost again. It's like one of those things. It just, just, it's there. I don't know. It's weird. Uh, I don't know. It doesn't have, it doesn't have those super hooks like they usually do sometimes, you know? But it's a good song. It's not a bad song, though. That's a weird thing. That, that's why, I, I don't know. This, you probably, I feel like this is terrible today. Because <laughs> usually we're all like, yeah, yeah, yeah. This and we're just like, kind of like, we're lost, you know? But, but I do like the song, but it's just like kind of like uh, it kind of reminds me not that it's the same kind of tempo, the same kind of no, I like the crazy train, right? I'm the crazy train, right? Now I'm the loco man, <laughs> the local crazy man, gonna run off the trails. That's all I got. <laughs> Fair enough, because I, I what I find on this one is senseless lyrics, or I'm completely missing the point of the song, which perhaps is the case because I didn't do the homework and read the narrative that went along with it. Um, <laughs> But I also think, yeah, it's a six-minute song. I think it's too bloated. I think it needed to be edited down and, you know, trimmed some of that fat off to make it more concise. I find the melody unoriginal. Now, people are probably going to laugh. You're listening to Wasp, and you're saying that the melody's unoriginal. Um, yeah, uh, in 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 case of, or in respects to Wasp, I find the melody just blah. But positives i think is an absolutely fantastic vocal um it, oh, re- gee, yeah. it really is one of the ones where blackie blackie's doing a lot of shouting on this album but the vocal here i just really do dig i also think the solo is really cool so you know there's some negatives about the song and some positives and i hadn't even thought about crazy train locomotive Ma- yeah okay that's that's a nice one to have brought up andy cool then locomotive breath you know locomotive breath was about the guy's life basically falling apart around him and you don't think about it with locomotive but then again maybe that could be like a you know a a connective tissue between those two songs well that's why i put loco dash motive man you know to make it very obvious i guess but uh and the killer babies and the killer babies (laughs) i always always forget that every time i listen to the song i forget about it I, it was just a locomotive band, and once in a while you hear the Killer Babies, and I'm like, oh yeah, forget about that, you know. Well, well, that's another one for Ozzy, you know, Crazy Babies, Killer Babies. So yeah. cra- Crazy I'll, Train, Crazy I'll, Train, and so. the Crazy Babies. <laughs> so we so we've got Ozzy, Jethro Tull, and Wasp, and Alice Cooper's. It's just a nice big circle, kind of like a. It's a it's a warm fuzzy circle of noise. All right, so getting getting unnoisy, the title track from the album is just a two-minute, uh, well, what do you call it, interlude, which I think would have been better at the front of the album in order to oh. stick with the more thematic style of a Wasp album that starts off with a introduction rather than sticking it in the middle. But I guess they may have been thinking, or Blackie would have been thinking, let's change things up. I'm going to randomly throw the intro somewhere else on the album this time just to confuse them. Bill, your thoughts on Unholy Terror? 
Well, and that's is uh, I wrote it down as basically uh, Blackie's version of sympathy for the devil. And if you're going to steal from somebody, you know, steal from the best. Uh, it's it's really good melodically uh, in comparison to what I said was exceptional in the last song and Julian said was crap. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, basically, you know, I, I was less focused on the music of Unholy Terror and just really getting into the lyrics where, like Sympathy for the Devil or kind of like um, uh, there's the Metallica song that sings I'm the needle in your arm or whatever, you know, that's he's basically just making this statement that I of the things that are happening to you, I am the source of that or whatever you know i am the unholy terror that's in your life or whatever but uh yeah i really got wrapped up in the lyrics more than i did the music andy all right now i like this because i don't know if you've seen it but on youtube somebody made a video of this song along with charisma together have you two seen it you gotta post it you got to watch the video because it has the video with the words and it matches it perfectly to explain what the two songs go together. And Blackie explains it in the little booklet, <laughs> kind of the same thing. He explains the song, what it's all about. And I don't know. I'm telling you right now, if you haven't seen the video, watch the video. It's a video of Unholy Talus slash Charisma together. And it tells about the apocalypse, basically the past, the middle, and the future. What we do, what we've done about all these cuckoo nuts. You know what I mean? And this is where I think that this is where the where the unholy terror slash charisma comes together. This reminds me of the album cover of the Headless Children. Basically, that's what it's about. It's about all these nut jobs, you know, prophecies you know, uh, mortars that think they were everything and people follow them. And look at what happened, right? What, look at what happens until the, in the long run or what happens to people in the long run. Not good, you know? So uh, if you're listening to us or watching us, go on YouTube. There is a great, great video of this song, Unholy Terror, along with Charisma, right together, explaining everything about the song, it is awesome. So, to me, with this and the next song, my top song off this whole album is Charisma, with Unholy Terror right in front of me because it explains it all. <laughs> well, then lead us straight into Charisma. I mean, give us your thoughts on that. Well, the Charisma thing, again, like I said, it does get into, uh, you know, the whole prophecies. And I can't, too, like I said, I'm not really big into the religion just stuff and all that kind of stuff like that but it does explain this whole song about how you know Koran or whatever the Koran thing and then you got John Lennon that got shot and you got you know uh, all, all, the, all these presidents that wanted to use the bombs you know what I mean it, it, it basically explains the past the middle and our what our future could look like if we don't stop this following these nut jobs basically that's what it comes down to <laughs> yeah you know charismatic the danger of following charismatic leaders yeah and uh you know basically what what is my charisma you know but, but I'm you, no, no but I, I, I just i just heard craig smith doing the vocal to charisma in my ears yeah. but, but 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 the thing is about it though it's got a great hook to it and the drums are awesome to it and it's the weirdest thing and nobody probably even knew I played this song at my wedding. And I danced my ass off to this song during the wedding because of that whole drum beat thing. And the way the whole song goes, I know it's a long, long song. But, you know, like I said, Bill's more into the whole, more into more technical drums and guitars and stuff. But to me, man, the whole guitar riffs on this thing, the drum beat on this whole thing, just, just does it for me. This thing is just really... Wicked awesome. I love this song. My favorite song off the whole album, Point Blank. <laughs> Bill. <laughs> yeah, Next. My, 
my opening line, but uh, to, before we go any further on this, I want to get a correction because you guys have a lyric sheet. Is that in the, the liner notes? Because I'm curious at where, how do you spell linen? Is it yes, L-E-N-O-N or is it L-E-N-I-N? Yeah, it's not really, even though the video shows John Lennon, as in, you know, the Beatle John Lennon, it's not about... It's about Lennon, Lennon, the Russian. Yeah, that's who I thought, because uh, he said he, 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 whatever it was to Lennon and manifested Marx or whatever, you know, that's that's who I was looking at. So I just totally had John Lennon completely out of the picture. But when I read the lyric sheet off of the the web, the it was like a to z lyrics dot com. They had spelled it like it was John Lennon's name. And there I'm is, like, I think they wrong. Yeah, in, in the video too, there is John Lennon, and it's not supposed to be. That once somebody did say, "Oh, it's not really supposed to be about Beatles Lennon," so it's about the other Lennon okay, or whatever. So, that, so I, I think I'm on the right track with this. Um, you know, it would have kind of made cool if they would have done something kind of like what they did with um, Still Not Black Enough. Or, or one of the previous albums, I'm not sure which one it was, but if they would have called track four The Terror and then they called this one Unholy Terror to where they just kind of linked together a little bit better, where it was named different. Because they, like you said, Andy, they go hand in hand. You know, the the track four is definitely the setup for track five. And uh, it, you know, it still works as a separate song without having the intro to it. But uh, as, I mean, on the technical end of it, I I described Chris's playing as moody. It wasn't necessarily blistering, you know, and it wasn't the bluesy stuff like he was playing earlier in the album. But it was just kind of moody stuff. It's like where he was actually just accenting the piece as a musical piece, and. Uh, and I don't know if it made it through on the other where the, the lyrics are quite prophetic, you know, like, you know, that something was going to happen 19 years later, but we'll just leave it at that. And that's all I got on that. I, Julian. Yeah, I'm with Andy. This is my favorite song on the album. I love the brooding vibe and the dark subject matter. Um, I think it drags a little bit, but I just love the song. Um, there, there's so much going on with it, and I don't agree with one of Andy's points of if you'd read the liner notes. I don't think I should have to read the liner notes to understand what an album is um, trying to present, and if I have to magnify it on my screen, <laughs> I, I'm really not going to that effort. I Again, I don't remember if I even read these liner notes back in 2001 either. Um, I'm actually going to do it after the show now that I've been told off by Andy. If I read the manual, I'd understand how to operate the equipment. You know? What's happening in 2021? I'm usually the one just going off script and just going everywhere. And I'm actually, re- I actually did homework. He's I'm, always asking me. You know, I, I'm, I, I'm glad you did because otherwise I'm just talking about the music and how the music affects me without necessarily understanding the intent of the artist. So I'm, in essence, disrespecting Blackie Lawless. So um, I sure, sure hope he doesn't have my phone number. Um, but again, I, I've got nothing further to add on that. It's just a really cool tune. It's a standout. I'm going to check out that video that you've mentioned afterwards as well. Um Lots of good stuff in there lyrically. And don't go off A to Z lyrics. I was actually reading some of those as well. I was like, what the hell? Especially when you get to Euphoria and you get the lyrics to Euphoria. Yeah, go figure. They've actually got lyrics for that instrumental (laughs) on A to Z lyrics. All right, let's move on into Who Slayed Baby Jane. And Andy, I'm going to go straight back to you since you're so well prepared today. You know what? I hate this song, period. (laughs) <laughs> the end. This is the worst track on the whole album. Thank you. Good night. Goodbye. I'm sorry. I just don't like it. I, I just I just don't like the way I mean Blackie's a great singer and stuff. I just don't like the way it's he sings it. I don't like the song, period. I just don't like it. I just it just does not go over. This is probably one of my least favorite wasp songs of all time. Uh, out of i just that's it for me i could skip this track every single time this is one of those ones i just can't do it 
I don't know what it is. I just ugh, his voice. It just sounds. I don't know. I just don't like it. Sorry. I don't want to get hate, hate mail or something, but it's just not my. This one is just not my cup of tea. And I like a lot of probably weird lost ones that other people can't stand. You know. <laughs> but this one, this one, I just can't take all the time. I don't know what it is. It's your opinion. You don't have to justify it to anyone, even if they think it's wrong. Yeah. You know, you, you know, you know, you know how I think of this song. Believe it or not, it even doesn't even go together in a match. Is the song off of Hot in the Shade? You love me to hate you. That one. Yeah. I can't stand that song. It's like the two together. It's like it makes me cringe. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, anyways, I know we're talking about Wasp, but anyways, this, this is definitely my least favorite song off the. Of, Album period. Eh, done. Okay. Next. Bill. <laughs> Somebody. Uh, yeah, and it's not necessarily a favorite of mine either. I do have a couple high points on it, but my first uh, assessment of it was basically like Blackie does Alice, you know, because it's kind of like Dead Babies meets Cold Ethel, which is kind of creepy. <laughs> it's really, it, it really is creepy. Uh, so, so I'm not terribly intent on the, the subject matter of the song. This is probably the worst written song on the album. But uh, as far as the musical end in it, I think that Chris's solos in both in the two parts is pretty fantastic. But uh, uh, it's not know, him. Except, except it's Roy Z. It's not Chris. <laughs> oh, it's, oh, yeah, it isn't Chris, is it? Okay, yeah. Well, see, I didn't no. have the liner either so well it, it, unless, unless the line is wrong but, but well yes yeah, so so roy z will give roy z the credit for it well done on your two solos the rest of the song's crap julian right well i start off with it's up tempo catchy and bizarringly disturbing and <laughs> i i really do have a problem with it uh, musically it's a great you know, musical track, but lyrically, it, I mean, her little head has rolled away, put it in my hands because it feels so bizarre. And I'm not singing the melody. Um, what the hell? There's something wrong with you, dude. <laughs> Writing. I, I love that fixed and dilated look that's in your eyes. I, get help. WTF. You know, uh, that's just messed up. That's not even Alice Cooper. Alice Cooper um, is not that bad. It's not that messed up. Because he may be singing those things, but he sure as heck isn't putting it into words. He's leaving you to fill in the blanks in your head, which is a much better way. Big wink, wink too. You know, that's the thing about it is there's no wink, wink in this song. Yeah, he'd be he'd be bowling with a doll's head. You know. Yeah. Yeah, because with Alice, you know, there's there's always just a bit of cynicism and sarcasm in in his lyrics and stuff, but. Yeah, this is just totally creepy. But then again, I was just basically referring to the the fact that there was dead babies and what he was wanting to do with the dead babies. So that's where I made that comparison. Yeah, no, just uh, I'll leave this one at disturbing and move rapidly on to Euphoria, the uh, well, the atmospheric song. And I again, I immediately said that reminds me of something and went straight to Sabbath, Masters of Reality. And there's a couple of pieces on there. Solitude you know some others have written it reminds them of uh what planet caravan uh yay nay no solitude definitely reminds me more of it's a different a different sort of uh wasp track so i actually thought it was cool because it was different bill okay i'm uh, i have a note here that we're two-thirds of the way through the album and some of my constant time complaints have been addressed because a lot of these uh arrangements are tighter and they're performed well, and they actually sound good on the on the disc or the whatever you're listening to on it. And my only complaint, which I said before, was still not black enough called, and they want their symbols back. But uh, as far as Euphoria, uh, I love the lyrics. No, just kidding. Uh, it is a it's a just a beautiful instrumental dropped right in the tail end. You know, it kind of makes you recover from that god awful track six that you just heard and uh i just think it's a nice breather in the in the set andy all right i am just gonna read what blackie said point blank about this about this song 
And then maybe we could have a discussion about it by then. But it's just an instrumental. It, Jesus, I can't even say the word. Anyways, <laughs> that's not even worse. Oh, we that, say it wrong. It's so damn funny. <laughs> <laughs> that was just so wrong, wasn't it? But <laughs> ah, that was bad. Ah, yep, and I'm going to speak a different language. Blah, blah, blah. All right. I'm just going to read the line and know what Blackie said about this, okay? Now, this is this is off his thing. <laughs> For me, it's one of the greatest little tunes I ever done. I love it. It's music to get high off by enjoy. That's it. <laughs> That's what he said about it. Well, it was very pretty. That was about it. I mean, it's just, I don't know. Change your face, or you can call it fluff. You know, <laughs> either way. It's a matter if it's, it's a, weed or ecstasy. You just pick whatever and get high to it. So. I guess for like what three minutes, even though I don't get high, so I don't really give a shit. Or <laughs> so, you know, just an instrument. I can't. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, okay. Just see, I can't even say that. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, okay, Man, I, I'm glad. This, I'm glad, glad we get some good laughs in 2021 so far. Because I'll tell you. Well, let's 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 move on into Ravenheart, <laughs> and we've talked about Alice Cooper, and if uh, I've ever heard a recycling of the school's out riff, it's <laughs> you know pretty obvious here. But I do really like it, and it's got a still not black enough feel, like it would have been perfect on that album as well. So that's probably why it's dark, but it's not too disturbing, which is always a good thing. Uh, ping pong, Andy, back to you, Ravenheart. <laughs> Ping pong, ping pong. I think he wrote something about it. Let me see if I can pull out the magnifying glass. <laughs> All right, we're, we're Evermore, right? Looks at Ra the idea. Ra Ravenheart. Oh, Ravenheart. Oh, boy. Oh, no. I don't think he's got one for that one. Ravenheart. I don't think he's got one. Sorry. I, I just trying to do some homework. I don't think so. I don't think Ravenheart's in here. Anyways, it's not a bad song. It's kind of like they're, um, I don't know, you got to have those, like, um, it almost reminds me of, like, the cries in the night. It's not really, really heavy, but it's not, like, super, super soft, you know, it's in that in-between kind of. So it's not bad. I, I like the song. It's just, you know, it's almost like, I don't know, recreation. Am I going to come back? Basically, right? And you read the, read the lyrics, that's what kind of, you know. <laughs> and actually, I think there is another video. A couple more people have made a lot of videos about this song. Recreation and being together and one somebody's gone and how are they going to come back and yada, yada. So it's kind of sad in a way. Sad song, too, at the same time. But again, it reminds me kind of like that cries in the night, you know. Not super heavy, not super light, kind of in between. Okay. Bill, it's funny that you said it. It uh, was a throwback to. Did you say which album did you say? Still you said not still not enough. black. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I actually thought it was a throwback to Headless, but then again, still not black enough. After Crimson Idol is a throwback to Headless. They're they're very sisterly albums in my opinion. Uh, I think it's a throwback to Headless era, and like you said, dark poetic lyrics. The lyrics are really awesome on it. and But one can't ignore the School's Out-ish opening riff, which gets your attention going, hey, that guy's playing School's Out wrong. But other than that, it's a great tune. <laughs> that guy's playing it wrong. Now, it, <laughs> I actually find this these two songs, uh, the next one, Evermore, kind of very Edgar Allan Poe-ish. You have Ravenheart, Evermore, Evermore, which in Edgar Allan Poe is Nevermore, Nevermore. So they, they seem to be, you know, tied together thematically with the raven and also tying back. Obviously, I see the blackbird on the uh, on the cover, still not black enough, so it all kind of comes together. Uh, since you were so keen to talk about Evermore from the instruction manual, Andy, <laughs> tell us what it's about. Oh, let me see if I can pull my... Huge magnifying glass. I'm telling you, people. Put on your <laughs> monocle. It's like, whoa. You know, to read all the heat. I mean, Blackie writes so much. So it, oh, here we go. All right. Sorry. I'm trying to, like, slowly. I'm reading it to myself. But you're going to want to screw it up. And then 
Uh, Evermore, looks like the idea of a reincarnation and experiences I've recently had in the American desert, Southwest slash Arizona or slash New Mexico. It's something I would love to believe in. I'm not saying I do yet, but I'd like to. Hopefully time will tell. Evermore is an ideal that goes back to the Headless album. It was originally titled Circle of Legend. And was the act as a reprise to Forever Free. It never fully developed back then. So I left it until the inspiration, then the idea of the past lives regarding itself. See, that's it. That's what he says. Whatever that means. In other words, he met a shaman, a shaman in the in the desert. Did some peyote, uh, or and then peyote, and then completely <laughs> ripped off Forever Free, and you know came up with a clone. Yeah, it sounds like it was a leftover, and you know it just never. But how, how many bands and how many things leave things that never get finished, and years later it progresses into something that comes out awesome, right? Yeah, and, I mean, and, I, and I'm not I'm not criticizing it. I think it's a pretty cool oh, no. tune. You know, it's it's one of the stronger tracks on the album artistically. Um, it's yeah. just not um, say as invigorating uh, as a rocker, or you know what I look for yeah. in a rock song. Yeah, like I said, it's not the most mellow song, but it's not the hardest song either. Got in between that in between kind of thing. But if I'm right, there are a couple of videos out there of people made videos of this song with the lyrics and stuff that kind of go, it's kind of cool. So. Yeah, so surf YouTube and, you know, throw Blackie Lawless and, you know, watch some of the stuff that fans come up with. It's often much more interesting than what the actual artists come up for for their own stuff because, <laughs> you know, they get to put a little, little bit of a different bent on it. Bill, what's your take on Evermore? I'll lead off with my joke that falls like a wet sock for the episode. It's not to be confused with the Taylor Swift release. <laughs> there it is. Uh, and, and that's odd that you know from what Andy read verbatim off of the liner notes I uh, my first line was very forever free sounding intro uh, very intense lyrics I think it could have been a single I hear hit potential in it and the great thing about a, a good long song is like this one six minutes comes and goes before you even know it you know, you don't sit there and go, oh, come on, man. Is this song almost over? I mean, it's basically boom, boom. And then you look down and go, what? That's 550, whatever. You know, it's 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 very well placed and well, a nice tight arrangement and still takes six minutes, but you don't really worry about it. Yeah, that was the perfect arrangement for that song. And it ended up at, you know, six minutes and 10 seconds or, or whatever it was. All right, we're into the last track. Wasted White Boys, and this is another song that features uh, Roy Z or Roy Z on guitars, Frankie Benali on drums, and for me, this one is yet another one where I go, I've heard this before, and I get it's like a hybrid between I Don't Need No Doctor and On Your Knees, which are two very good songs to kind of have collide, but I love the backing organ on it. It just turns it into something of a deep purple song for me. So um, a, a great way to finish the album. Um, another very strong song. And for what Bill just said about Evermore being the perfect length arrangement for that length of song, I think that of this one as well. Bill, back to you on this. Okay. Uh, the first thing I thought about was, is this a KFD leftover? Basically because of the lyrics. Because it's it's basically just kind of the most juvenile lyrics on the entire album in my opinion but uh you know he's a badass he's a sex machine he's a real killer you don't want to mess with him blah 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 uh it's pretty killer but it's still filler you know this is basically just a a, they play it technically proficiently it sounds good but you know it just I have here in my notes that Wasp kind of drops their drawers with the moon and two middle fingers to close the album where, you know, it just, you know, we're just the, we're the guy's mom warned you about, you know, and then they close the album with it. So it doesn't really knock me out. Fair enough. Andy. Yeah. It's got, uh, you know, we went from, it's almost like they went, he went backwards 
for the song. They went backwards for the song for like the early years. And why? Why? I don't understand that. Because he, he even said that. Blackie even said after the electric circus tour was done that, you know, he went on the roof. It was a huge party. He left, went on the roof, sat there or looked out and said, man, this is not what I wanted this to come out to be. Because he said, you know, by then it was fluff material. Everything was fluff. It was just sex, drugs, rock and roll. And he wanted Wasp to be more than that. And, you know, he went from being that to doing all these, you know, all these songs. And then now all of a sudden you get all this stuff. And then all of a sudden now we're going to, we're going to, at the last track, we're going to throw this back to where we started from. <laughs> Song, you know? And Bill said, you know, we're badass, sex, drugs, you know, bah, I'm going to screw you. I'm going to screw the devil's daughter. That's how, that's how cool I am and how badass I am. It's just kind of weird to me. It's just weird because they went from, being so lyrical, you know how Blackie's changed with his, with his songwriting. He went from, you know, just sex, drugs, and rock and roll to, you know, all these long songs and you know, the lyrics are out of, like, digging real deep into history and, and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden he's went back to, like, the sex, drugs, kind of rock and roll thing. Just kind of weird, huh? To me, well, it's weird. Maybe he just wanted to prove he could still do it. Well, well and the think that you know to to support andy's argument one of his heroes is obviously pete townsend now oh, yeah pete townsend wrote in my opinion probably the greatest rock opera ever being tommy and when you complete something magical like tommy and then you go back in your catalog and you look and go oh my god i wrote boris the spider too <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like it's like if he wrote another Boris the Spider, you know, for it's, it's kind of a bookend, but it's not, you know, the book's not closed at all. But it is definitely a throwback to the, the dirty, sexy, badass, you know, F everybody or whatever. But, uh, you know, and that's the thing about it is Pete Townsend would not go out and write Boris the Spider again. Uh, I'm not sure why Blackie did. Yeah, but I mean, no matter how you, how much you develop, advance or whatever, you are still the sum of your parts. Now, Pete Townsend may say, "Well, I'm never writing another Boris the Spider again," whereas Blackie may have said, "Well, I just want to, you know, I need one more song. I just want to write something easy." So fall back into type. You know, it, it's not like it's a song that takes a lot of thought to write. It's, it takes much more thought to write something like Charisma than it does Show No Mercy. Yeah. Or, or maybe maybe you're just trying to show some of the fans, some of the other fans that might have kind of, you know, kind of distanced themselves from Wasp at this point or didn't know they were around or, or kind of like maybe some people said, oh, man, I used to like that old just plain dirty like sex drive kind of things you know now he's gone this way man what happened you know how come he can't do this anymore maybe this is just that song saying basically again yeah man i can do it see i can still do i can still write that kind of song i can still put it on an album but then that's it and if it still hooks somebody in that's great you know that's the thing about it is yeah. i think you can all agree it's not the worst song on the album <laughs> so, no it, it, it's variety you know, you get yeah, a little bit of many things on this album, and that's what keeps it interesting. And after doing a re-listen to it after probably 20 years, makes me go, well, wow, there, there's a lot of different Blackie on this album. Yes. And I think it's strange, again, we come back to the Slate thing where it's 2001, and Bill said again, you know, the bands that were on top of the rock world were, you know, you could like them or not like them, but it wasn't the kind of... It wasn't the kind of rock and roll that our generation or our our era area would like would sort of get into or listen to as much, you know. So, and then again, it wasn't much promotion. Again, there's no promotion with him. He, it's just like it falls off the, you know. There's more promotion with him when he does if he did anything in like overseas. But even here in the states, I mean, I I looked it up today and I swore I had gone to the show. 
because it was in that place in Connecticut I had mentioned in in Hartford in Hartford and in the in that in bad area of Hartford there. And uh, in 2001, they only played like I think it was like 20 shows in the United States and like two in Canada. And then it was like then there was some stuff overseas, and that was it. You know, so there wasn't even promotion. There was nothing. I mean, not that everyone, not that it. Yeah, I know. And you know what? It, now that you showed that, you had and to I went out to get that right. No, huh? The, the picture that Julian showed—that's like a merch sheet from inside the album, right? Yeah, he so had to he, buy he did, the- yeah, he didn't. He didn't. He didn't do much uh, promotion, or it, we don't remember him doing much promotion. But you could. You were always guaranteed to have merch. Now, right, now well, it goes back to something that I was. I've talked about in the real early episodes I did with you guys. Uh, is he still with Sanctuary Entertainment on this album? I mean, is, yeah, uh, it's it's. Small- it's, it's a- yeah, it's a sub- subsidiary Metal Is, which was part of the Sanctuary Group. So it kind of oh. gotten bumped down uh, order-wise. So it, whether it was distributed through Sanctuary and just a, a, another label, I don't remember now. The, the, the Sanctuary is Smallwood's Enterprise, right? I'm pretty sure it is. Because all the Maiden stuff was is, is listed as Sanctuary Management or whatever. So he was still had the same keypad. That's the thing about it is, you know, um, you're not going, you're not going to try to market in a place where things aren't even going to try to sell. You know, that's yeah, like true. where, where, where when you know, Kiss started falling off in the U.S., they went to Europe. So, if if Smallwood knows that this stuff's selling in Europe, and they just focus all of their their uh, promotion over that way. And, you know, that's the thing about it. It's better off to sell 50,000 in Europe and 8,000 in the U.S. than to put a bunch of money into the U.S. and still only sell that 8,000. You know, if you, you, you put the money, you put the money where the money's coming from. Yeah. So and it's you know what? Really a decision, but and and, and I tell you, too. Yeah. And, and, and Julia showed the, you know, the back of the CD. And you know what? I, 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 want, I actually want to punch myself because looking at this and getting this and thinking to myself, why didn't I get anything from this? Anything from this stuff? I, I, I should punch myself. Seriously. I mean, I, I, I love Washington. But why didn't I, why didn't I buy myself up? Because even some of the shows I went to didn't have the shirts. It was weird. You went to some of the concerts and stuff, and they didn't even have their own shirts. It's like, yeah. but then, but then all of a sudden, I see it on these pamphlets, and I'm like, I could kick myself now, knowing that I could never get this stuff ever if I wanted something, or or if I did now, it's 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 like hundred times the price <laughs> to get something. I mean, look at this. There is a BC Rich here, the BC Rich here, signed by Blackie, which you know you can't, you know. When you get a signature from Blackie, it's like impossible. A BC Rich here guitar for like six hundred dollars with the signature. You can kick yourself. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> now it probably like, it would be like you know, five grand or some crazy thing. You know? <laughs> yeah. Now, is hockey jersey on there? Because one of those shirts looks like a hockey jersey. Is there a hockey jersey on there? There's always a yeah. hockey jersey on there. Price on. Andy, you got the magnifying glass. (laughs) Seventy-five bucks. Yeah, seventy-five bucks for a hockey jersey. There's a baseball one for seventy-five. It is like the football jersey for seventy-five bucks. Yeah, we've lost your audio a bit there, Andy. You're gone all weird. So in two thousand one dollars, you know that's seventy-five bucks. That would be like probably double maybe triple now would you think yeah probably like 25 dollars for a shirt well let's see what it went up to the the next year so you could you could you could buy a set of picks from the band the whole set entire set of picks of 10 10 from all the guys that's chris blackie mike for 10 bucks Yep. So the the it went up to a hundred the following year. So 
uh, we'll, we'll talk about that one next. Let's wrap up with top three and least favorite uh, for this album. What are your favorite three songs from the album, and what are your least favorite? Uh, what is your least favorite, Bill? Let's start with you. Okay, uh, I would probably least favorite. I will definitely go with "Who Slayed Baby Jane" because it's just garbage, and I think we've said enough on that. Um, Charisma is probably number one, and I would probably follow it up with the two opening tracks, Let It Roar and Hate to Love Me, because uh, I just think those are just signature wasp. But uh, Charisma is, it, it could probably go into like the top 10 of Blackie's masterpieces, especially from this album. Nice. Andy, favorite three and least favorite? Uh, well, we know the least favorite is uh, Baby Jane. Absolutely. See you later. <laughs> and uh, my top one is definitely his charisma. And I got to go along with Bill. It's a uh, locomotive and uh, let, let it roar. Nice. Yep. All right. So mine, obviously, favorite charisma. Let It Raw, though, is right up there as well as a great, uh, just very good Wasp kickoff track. And I'm going with Ravenheart for my third favorite. Uh, we've already mentioned the least favorite. I don't see any point in naming it ever again or discussing it. Um, I'm just editing that song out of my head. Um, that's, the first, that's the first time I think we, we all agreed it was the uh, next locker of all the albums. Yeah, and since Andy's audio's kind of already left the show, I think we could probably just wrap it. Well, you're, you, you've gone all not so wicked awesome. Um, I think we can leave it there. We're going to be regrouping probably in February to talk about the next album, which came out just over a year later. You know, a little bit more than a year. I think it was June 2002, Dying for the World comes out, which I do remember it being released. At least I think I do. Um because I was pretty busy in 2002 as well for some reason, especially around the time that this album was coming due. Um, and this one, again, it was another one out of the bin at Amoeba. I wasn't buying these ones new. So it'll be fun to sit back and revisit that one as well, which has not been a regular player on my list. We're into, you know, a bit of a black hole. If I listen to Wasp, I'm going to throw on Headless or the first three or still not black enough. Crimson, again, just never gets played much, and, you know, uh, KFD very seldom. So it's really nice to you know, have an extended opportunity to sit back and revisit these albums. And I, and hopefully it is for you as well. If you're not familiar with these, the album that we're talking about, check it out. It's probably on Spotify, and if not, it's probably on YouTube. And as Andy has mentioned, there's some very cool fan videos out there. Um, so, so do check out the albums that you may have missed out on because fill in those gaps in your discography for these artists because Blackie continued to write, to record, and he worked, uh, we're in a period now that he was actually working quite hard in the studio and it's going to get interesting. So I guess we leave it there. So for now from Bill, Andy and myself, thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time. Thank you for watching or listening to this episode. Be sure to subscribe to us, like us, or even leave us a review. You can find us and join the conversation on Facebook. <laughs>